We are once again in Luke. Luke 8, we'll be reading this morning, verses 22 through 25. One day he got into a boat with the disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? The word of God. The SS Edmund Fitzgerald was an American freighter. When it was launched on June 7, 1958, she was the largest ship on North America's Great Lakes. More than 10,000 people watched as she slid into the water for the first time. And for 17 years, the Edmund Fitzgerald carried iron ore from mines near Duluth, Minnesota, to iron works in Detroit, Toledo, Cleveland, and other Great Lake ports. As a workhorse, she set seasonal records six times, often breaking her own record. Captain Peter Pulser was known for piping music day or night over the ship's intercom while passing through the St. Clair and Detroit rivers and entertaining spectators at the Sioux Locks with a running commentary about the ship. Her size, her record-breaking performance, and her DJ captain endeared the Edmund Fitzgerald to boat watchers. But on November 10, 1975, after 17 years on the Great Lakes, the Edmund Fitzgerald, having left Duluth, found herself in the worst storm to hit Lake Superior in more than 30 years. Gale winds clocked at 80 miles an hour with gusts reaching an incredible 96 miles an hour. Waves reached 30 feet high. Men on the lake later recalled how the wind in the rigging sounded like various sirens going off. The waves pounded the ship like a hundred wrecking balls, all banging on the steel plate of the hull. Mountainous waves crashed over the freighter, rolling 600 feet down the deck. And shortly after seven o'clock, in the shadowy darkness, the Edmund Fitzgerald long hull bent, then bent further, then snapped in half like a twig. Her two great pieces sank some 500 feet 
and landed on the ocean floor, sorry, the Lake Superior's floor, about 170 feet apart. Some say that this happened in a mere 10 seconds time. One moment she was plowing through the waves as high as a three-story building. The next, she was gone. And many of us remember the wreck of this ship from a famous song by Canadian singer-songwriter Gordon Lightfoot. He wrote, with a load of iron ore, 26,000 tons more than the Edmund Fitzgerald weighed empty. That good ship and true was a bone to be chewed when the gales of November came early. Inland waters, especially fresh waters, pose a unique danger. Fresh waters do not have the same rhythms of the great sea. They're often random and contradictory with their waves. Inland lakes are more vulnerable to the surrounding geography instead of surrounding land like the oceans do. They are surrounded by varying topography. Thus, they are subject to quick temperature inversions and violent changes of weather. And their smaller size instills a sense of safety that is not there. And though the Sea of Galilee is only five miles wide and 13 miles long, its perils are considerable due to the unique geography. The sea itself was actually below sea level and surrounded by imposing mountains gouged with deep ravines. And these ravines were like gigantic funnels that winds whirled down on the lake without notice. Those gales were often strengthened by a thermal buildup in the extremely low valley that sucked cold air violently downward. And you could see how on the Sea of Galilee that suddenly there could be a perfect storm, if I can put it that way. As Christians, we are on a journey. A journey from fear to faith through unique dangers. As we sail through the storms of life, we are learning to navigate by the fixed star of faith and trust in Jesus. Life is a shipwreck when we continually run aground on the rocks of trouble, consumed by fear and anxiety. Like the seed that fell among the thorns, the cares and anxieties of life choke out our fruit bearing growth. Our passage today teaches some very important lessons that King Jesus wants to em emphasize. Number one, Jesus will bring you across the lake. What the disciples went through on the Sea of Galilee is something we all go through in life. Seas of difficulty and storms of trouble. 
People lose their jobs or suffer some other financial hardship and get tossed about by the waves of wind and worry. They receive an unfavorable diagnosis or struggle with some chronic illness and are flooded with fear. They have painful interpersonal conflicts at home or in the neighborhood, at work or in the church, and feel as if they're sinking. They lose someone they love and they're drowned in sorrow. Or perhaps they're simply swamped with all of the duties and difficulties of everyday existence. We all must pass through heavy seas of life's trouble. As the Apostle Peter said, the same Peter who was on the boat with Jesus, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. You see, Jesus will put you in a place where you encounter trouble. He will bring you across the lake. Often, danger comes like it came at Galilee, suddenly and unexpectedly. There the disciples were, sailing across the lake without any sign of difficulty. And lulled into a false sense of security, they never imagined that with a few short hours they would be fighting for their very lives. The same thing can happen to us. Although the seas of daily experience are sometimes calm, they can be swept up by sudden storms. Like the disciples, we are in a situation that we think we can, can, we can handle, but then completely unexpectedly, we are afraid and in danger of drowning. And then most of all, we need to endure the test of the soul. Think about it. In March of this year, COVID came in so quick and changed things so fast that most of us are still reeling. But God has not promised us skies always blue, flower-strewn pathways all our life through. God has not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. But God has promised strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. In adversity, we usually want God to do a removing job rather than an improving job. And to realize the worth of the anchor, we need to feel the storm. It's written in Hebrews, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Without difficulties, without trials, without stresses, even failures, we would never grow to be what we should become. Storms are part of the process of spiritual growth. 
Some experienced believers believe that every spiritual truth, everything that has enhanced their existence, has come through affliction. Storms are God's way of bringing us into deeper grace. Without adversity, we would be insufferably self-centered, proud, flat-dimensioned, empty people. Perhaps you've heard it before, but consider the moth and the butterfly. Consider the Cercopia moth emerges from its cocoon in a struggle. And if you would watch this moth go through this struggle, perhaps someone comes over and says, look at that poor thing, takes a pair of scissors and cuts the cocoon, saying, after all, we want to help this little thing. But as you watch the wings remain weak. The moth, which in a few moments would have stretched out those wings to fly, was now doomed to crawling out its brief life in frustration. What the person didn't know was that the struggle was there to emerge from the cocoon as the essential part of developing the muscle system of the moth's body and pushing the body fluids out into the wings to expand them. And by unwisely cutting short the process, the watcher had actually crippled the moth and doomed it for its short existence. The adversities of life are much like the cocoon in the moth. God uses the cocoon of our troubles to develop the spiritual muscle system of our lives. As James says, the testing of your faith through trials of many kinds develops perseverance. And perseverance leads to maturity of character. Revelation 6 tells us the end times will include terrible pestilence. All of this is why the Christian church has historically seen times of sickness and plague to be a humble time to seek God afresh. And that's what we should be doing. Brother, sister, we're all in the same boat. That's why I'm excited about this deep discipleship class that we're going to bring everybody through, hopefully. This is a time for us to seek the Lord together as a church with friends, perhaps in family. What should we do when trouble comes? How should we react in times of difficulty and danger, whether physical or spiritual? Well, when the disciples were in danger, as the Bible says they were, they reacted by crying out to Jesus to save them. It says, And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Jesus was asleep. 
Our Lord Jesus Christ was really a man as well as really God. And he still is. As he sailed over the Sea of Galilee in a boat with the disciples, he fell asleep. Sleep, we of course know, is one of the conditions of our natural constitution as human beings. Angels and spirits require neither food nor refreshment, but flesh and blood to keep up a healthy existence must eat and drink and sleep. If the Lord Jesus could be weary and need rest, he must have had two natures in one person. A human nature as well as a divine. That's why last week we called him the lion and the lamb. This truth is full of deep consolation and encouragement for all true Christians. The one mediator in whom we trust has himself been a partaker of flesh and blood. The mighty high priest who is living for us at God's right hand has had personal experience of all the sinless infirmities of the body. He himself has hungered and thirsted and suffered pain. He himself has endured weariness and has sought sleep. We can pour out our hearts to him with freedom because he is touched by the feelings of our infirmities. He knows what it's like. To be weary of working for God is sinful, right? Some people say, oh, I'm tired of working for God. I'm not going to do that anymore. But to be wearied and worn in doing God's work is no sin at all. Jesus himself was weary and Jesus slept. An old pastor used to tell me being worn out in God's work is a good tired. Jesus was also asleep because he had complete confidence in the loving care of his Father. He didn't worry about the storms. or He knew that God would care for him, protect him. Deep down, he knew that no harm would come to him, that his Father would wake him when he needed to be awakened. You know, I really am sad for many people in our world today. I hear so many times that people can't sleep. And you know, I would say that not all the causes of sleeplessness are the same. But one of them surely is people mentally taking too much on themselves. That they need to sleep with one eye open, worried about this, worried about that, you know, trying to do this, that, and the other thing so they can make things go the way they want them to. Beloved, there is a time to let go and to sleep and to trust God's sovereign care. You know, the best pillow, it's been said, 
is the sovereignty of God. It's the softest pillow. How great is the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. When His disciples awoke Him in the storm, He arose, He rebuked the wind and the raging of the waters, and they ceased, and there was a calm. This, no doubt, was a mighty miracle. It needed the same power that brought the flood on the earth in the day of Noah, and in due season took it away, who divided the Red Sea and the River Jordan into two parts, and made a path for the people through the waters, who brought the locusts on Egypt by an east wind and by a west wind, swept them away. No power, short of divine power, could turn this storm into calm. To speak to the winds and waves is a way of saying that Jesus did that which is impossible for man. We see him speaking, and at once creation obeys the Creator. As a man he had slept, but as God he stilled the storm. What a blessed and comfortable thought that all this almighty power of our Lord Jesus Christ is engaged on behalf of His believing people. He has undertaken to save every one of them to the uttermost, and He is mighty to save. Though our trials are often many and great, the devil never ceases to make war against His people The rulers of this world frequently persecute God's people, but God's people are never, ever forsaken. Though they may be harassed, they are not destroyed. And our head, our captain, our King Jesus is the one that protects us. Whenever we are in danger of drowning, or at least think we are, we should call out to Him. If we are burdened with our sins, rather than running away, we should cry out to Him for mercy, asking Him to save us through His cross and His empty tomb. If we're struggling to make ends meet, we should cry to Him for our daily bread. If we are buffeted by physical pain, we cry to Him for patience, endureth, and healing. If we are torn apart by conflict, we cry to Him for the peace of His Spirit. And if we are overwhelmed with sorrow, we cry to Him for the comfort of His presence. In every rough and stormy gale, even to the point of death itself, we call upon Jesus. And when we call upon Him, He is able and He is willing to help us as the disciples discovered. There is no one better equipped to help us. Jesus awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was calm. The disciples were in confusion Jesus 
was fully composed. He's the commander. He's the master. He's the creator. This was a genuine and immediate miracle. One moment, they were nearly drowning. The next moment, floating serenely on the smooth surface of the Sea of Galilee. The storm ceased. The storm was calm. Beloved, all it took was His Word. All it took was His will. And one day, COVID-19 will leave this world at the Lord's will. At His Word. You can rest assured of it, brother, sister. It will be gone by the divine power of the mighty Word. But you know, think about this, that in this boat were professional fishermen. They knew what the sea could be like. They knew what the storms would be like. And we, as people who live each day in this world, know from either our own lives or lives of others what can befall us. And so every one of us has running in the background at various times and at various levels the fear of impending doom. It plagues us. And that fear of impending doom can become exacerbated by little faith, by little trust. The fear of impending doom Jesus says to his disciples, where is your faith? This was a gentle rebuke. The obvious implication was that the disciples were not trusting in Jesus. Kent Hughes points this out. The storm did not wake Jesus, but the unbelief of his disciples did. They cried out to Jesus, but there was something desperate about it. The boat was getting swamped. The fear overwhelmed their faith. They looked only at the danger, forgetting who was in the boat with them. They were more concerned about the water in the boat than calmed by the Lord in the boat. Rather than trusting God to take care of them, they immediately assumed the worst. Don't we do that? You know, we get a little ache and pain and all of a sudden we think that we're dying. Men usually are good at that. Women too. We are perishing, they said. In other words, we're dying. We're going to die out here. What are you doing? We can sympathize with them and their faltering of their faith. It's natural to be afraid of death It's easy to panic in a crisis. It's easy to be overwhelmed by the winds and waves of life's troubles. When the water is high, when the storm is rising, it's easy to think that we're going down for the last time. It's also easy to forget that God is with you 
in the boat. We should always trust God to bring us safely back to shore. He's sovereign, beloved. He loves us with an everlasting love. Nothing can happen to any one of you without His permission. And He promises that it will be only for your eternal good. We can't say the same for people who are not in Christ, but we can certainly say this for people that are in Christ. That all of our suffering, whether caused by ourselves or our sin or other people's sin, will be overruled by a sovereign God and used for our eternal good. He will bring spiritual gain and we must rely on Him. We must rely on Him knowing these principles. Knowing that Jesus is with us in the boat. All of us are in the same boat and Jesus is with us in the boat. And it's Jesus who's telling us, let's go to the other side. He's on board as we ride out the storm. Isaiah wrote this, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. If anyone asks you, where is your faith? We can tell them our faith is in the God who rules the universe and in His Son, Jesus Christ, who did everything for us, even became man and died on a cross for our sins and our salvation. What a difference it makes to go through life as treacherous as it is sometimes to know that Jesus is in the boat with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. When the storm tide is rising, the ship of God's church will not sink. Jesus is on board and no matter how fiercely the storm rages, we can trust our Master to bring us through. You know, I think they were more afraid when they saw the divinity of Jesus than they were of the storm. The Word says this, And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this? that He commands even winds and waters, and they obey Him. You can't put Jesus in the category of any other false god. You can't put Him in the category of Buddha or 
Confucius, or the list goes on and on. This Jesus is God. There is no other. We can be terrified by nature, but what happens here is terror because of the holiness of God, the otherness, the uniqueness of God. Who else can command creation? Only God can. And they saw it with their very own eyes. He's intrinsically worthy of devotion. He is God with us. And he gives us evidence for it in this event. You know, we need to, in the good times, build up our faith. Keep it ready for use. Because we know at some point in time it will be called upon. What's the benefit of trusting if we were to trust only in the sunshine, but not in the rain, but not in the storms? You know, the lesson before us is one of deep practical importance. It is great to have true saving faith and Our faith at times in our walk falters, but we must always be building up our faith and seeing him who has invisible. The man who does that will never be shaken greatly by any storm. The disciples had been afraid of the storm, but now they were more afraid by the divinity of of the Lord. And so they asked themselves a question, and in so doing they answered it. Who is this that commands the wind and the waters? Who is this Jesus? And that's what Luke is writing to tell you that this Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Word made flesh. He is God Himself. And so we see even a precursor of this event in the Psalms. Listen to Psalm 107. It's almost like speaking of the same thing. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men, and they were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storms be still. And the waves of the sea were hushed. Amen and amen. This, beloved, was a demonstration of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's still demonstrating that deity each day. He's the Lord of the storm, the ruler of nature, and the God of all creation.
Now, we would be overstating the case to say that every storm does not result in death or some permanent thing that is debilitating or difficult. But we know that we know that we know that whatever he does, he does rightly and he does for our eternal good. He loves us. And many have written songs about the love that there is in the Lord. It was the love of God that motivated Charles Wesley to write the hymn, Jesus, lover of my soul. Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly while the nearer waters roll, while the tempest still is high. Hide me, O Savior, hide till the storm of life is past. Safe into the haven guide, O receive my soul at last. You realize that everyone who has this trust has this comfort And when you go home to be with the Lord, that will be the greatest thing that ever happened to you. He says so. It's true. The devil screams at you, tries to make you fearful. But the Lord is good and precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll bring you home with him. Well, there was a man, a minister in the Church of England. His name was Henry Edward Cardinal Manning, lived in the 1800s. He became an Archbishop of Westminster, a popular writer. And during a period of great depression and a darkening of his faith, he went into a well-known bookstore for a copy of one of his own books entitled Faith in God. As he waited for the book to be sent up from the storeroom, he heard a man's voice call up the stairs saying, Manning's faith in God is all gone. And so that was all the lesson that he needed to hear. It is said that the African impala can jump to a height of over 10 feet and cover a distance of greater than 30. Yet these magnificent creatures can be kept in an enclosure in any zoo with only a three-foot wall. You see, the animals will not jump if they cannot see where their feet will fall. Faith is the ability to trust what we cannot see. In faith, we are freed from the flimsy enclosures of life that only fear allows to entrap us. Remember, beloved, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. 
Why did it seem that the ancient church had so much faith, but the modern church struggles? Well, I think it's because there's too much world today and not enough word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would fill our hearts and minds with the promises of God, with the nature of God, knowing what he has done and who he is, as disclosed to us in your holy word. And may your holy word build up our most holy faith that we would walk in trust and in in delight to you and to us. This we pray in Jesus' holy name and all God's people said, Amen.